You may be seated. So this morning I woke up, I checked my phone, it was 44 degrees outside. Um, and so when I was walking from the house to the car, I broke into a sweat because it was so warm down here compared to Portland, Maine. Um, no, it is such a joy to be down here to thaw out. Um, we're excited between services to share with you guys some of the stories of the things God's been doing and the ways he's been working in New England and Portland. Um, so if you can catch after the service, we'd love to see you um, and come with your questions. We want to share with you what's going on. Um, but more than anything, we just wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you. Thank you for loving us so well this past seven months. There's not a week that goes by that we don't get a note of encouragement, a text, somebody saying we're praying for you, knowing that we have this prayer team covering us. And there's not a week that goes by that we don't draw from something that we learned here from you all. And so it really doesn't feel like we've left. It really does feel like we've been sent. So thank you for your love, your generosity, your encouragement. It means so, so much to us. So thank you. All right, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, Lord, our souls are restless until we find our rest in you. Lord, I pray you would look at us with compassion. Lord, purify our disordered affections. Lord, let us behold the eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray all this, Lord, in his name. Amen. So, this passage, as I was doing research, um, there was a commentator named Frederick de Bruner, and he said that this passage right here, there's two different portraits of Jesus. One, and this is in uh, chapter 2, we see, the beginning of chapter 2, we see Jesus, Lord of the wine. We see Jesus at the wedding feast, turning water into wine, which we love this Jesus, don't we? The one that brings new life the one that brings joy into our lives. And then in the very next passage, he says, then we see Jesus, Lord of the whips. And he comes and he clears out the temple. And this is the Jesus, whether you've been following Jesus for uh, two weeks or 30 years, this is the Jesus that's challenging. Right? Or maybe you're not even a Christian, but you're here because you're curious about Jesus. And you're like, wait, Jesus also comes to disrupt stuff? He comes to take things away. Like, how does that work? And I don't know if you guys realize it, but next week will be kind of the one-year anniversary of everything shifting for uh, our country, specifically for our city. It was our daughter's one-year-old birthday, um, so we were celebrating her birthday uh, on March 13th when I got the text from Mike that said, hey man, we're canceling services, we're moving everything online. And so specifically this past year, many of us have been wrestling with Jesus, the Lord of the Whips. And we have this question of, is he good? What is he doing when he's taking things away and reorienting and reordering things in our life? So that's what I want to look at today. And specifically, we're going to be looking at three questions. What was Jesus doing when he was clearing the temple? And what is he doing when he clears things in our lives? Secondly, how does he do it? What's his disposition here in this passage in our, in our lives? Then thirdly, and most importantly, why? Why does Jesus disrupt things in our lives? We like Jesus, Lord of the wine, but why Jesus, Lord of the whips? So if you have your Bible, open them up. We are in John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
And in the temple, this is what he finds. Those who are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Alright, so go ahead and throw up that slide of the temple. This is an artist's illustration of the temple. Um, when it says that Jesus went into the temple, what it means is he went into the temple complex. It means he went through the gate into that large where all the courtyards are. And if you guys don't have a lot of background with the Bible, basically what the temple was in the first century for the Jews was the place where God's presence was mediated with God's people through sacrifices. So that's how they could come into the presence of God through sacrifices, through saying, like, I place my sins on this animal, I, I recognize I'm a sinner, and through sacrifices I can come now into the presence of God. So that was, that was the function of the temple. And so Jesus comes into this place where you have the mediated presence of God, and I want you guys, do you guys see, there's like that long, large courtyard, and then there's this second courtyard, like there's a, where there's like the not quite as tall wall. Do you guys see that? So, that wall was where everything outside of that wall, the, the, only, or the Gentiles could go. Everything inside that small wall, only the Jews could go. And so when it says that Jesus came into the temple complex and he saw all this, where he saw all this activity happening, all this money changing and selling of animals happening, was in that outer court where the Gentiles were. And so it's important to realize that there's nothing wrong in this passage with them uh, selling animals or doing money changing. This was a way for people who had traveled from very far to not have to bring their animals with them. So that, that, uh, there wasn't a problem with the, the selling of animals. The problem was location, location, location. Right? They were doing it in the court of the Gentiles. The place where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to come as close to the presence of God that they could. And so Jesus is saying, you're excluding people from my house. You're excluding people from worship. So that's the first problem. And then the second problem is the distraction that it would cause. Like imagine we're in uh, here in worship. We're, you know, listening to some praise music, doing communion. And, and the, you can hear like the sound of lambs lowing out in the narthex. Like that would be pretty distracting. And so Jesus was trying to do two things, right? It says they had zeal for, for his father's house. One he wanted this to be a place for all people to worship God alone. Those were the two things. All people, God alone. So he was saying, don't exclude people from worship and don't distract worship. Don't let it be God and we're going to have all these other things going on. And we can relate to that, right? And we're in the middle of Lent. And so we're, if, if you've been coming to church for the last couple weeks, you know this idea of Lent is a time to get rid of distractions, to say no to some sin or some distractions in your life to make room for God. So my question for you would be this. If Jesus were to come to you, kind of the Lord of the whips in his hand, and he were to say, take this away, because that's what he does. He clears it all out. He says, take this away. What do you think he would say for you? If you looked at your life, what's the, the thing that has been the biggest barrier to your relationship with God that you think, don't think of 10 things because there are 10 things for all of us, but what's the one thing you think he would hone in on? So take that question. We're going we're gonna to follow up on that question in a minute. And so that's what he came to do. He came to clear out the temple. He came and he comes and does the same thing in our life, clears out distractions from our lives. So how does he do it? I don't know about you guys, but I've always read this passage, especially the thing where it says zeal 
for your house will consume him. And that, like, Jesus was just consumed by zeal and anger. Like, he, he just loses it. And so, to give you an example, um, the, about a couple weeks ago, um, Carrie was working. I was doing some, uh, the, I had the kids at home. I was uh, doing the dishes. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me after about 10 minutes. Like, oh no, I haven't heard the kids in 10 minutes. And I'm like, you know what that means. Like, they're doing something bad. And so I, I, I was kind of walking through the house trying to figure out where they were, go upstairs, and I hear them in the room. I open up the, the, the door, and they've opened up all of their drawers, taken all the clothes, and just thrown them everywhere. <laughs> and like this thing like, was consuming me. And I, you know, of course, I'm like, what are you doing? You're, kill, you know, you're killing me, Smalls. So... Um, <laughs> So the question is, is that Jesus' disposition? Because that's the way I think Jesus. He kind of goes off the rails here. But I, I want to look at this passage because there's something that stuck out to me more recently because it says he sees all these different things and the first thing he does in verse 15 is, says, and making a whip of cords. I've never thought about the fact that he made a whip of cords. I just assumed that he grabbed a whip of cords from somebody and started freaking out. But... It says he makes a whip of cords, which would be like uh, taking reeds and weaving them together into a whip. So Jesus is not out of control at all. He's going, gathering different reeds together, weaving them together. Jesus isn't out of control. And so if Jesus has the whip in his hand, right, on something in your life, he's not coming to you angry saying, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? He has the precision of a surgeon that sees a cancer and says, I need to cut that out of your life because it's going to kill you. And I'm doing it because I love you. And so that's what we see Jesus doing in a controlled manner, the steady opposition to something that he knows will destroy them and, and will destroy us. And not only that, but that very passage, zeal for your house will consume me, I missed it for all of these years. I've been following Jesus for like 20 years. And I never understood the context of it. But that is actually a quote from Psalm 69, verse 9. And I want to read you the context. Listen to what's happening here. It says this. For it is for your sake, he's, this is David saying, God, it's for your sake that I've borne reproach. That dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So, what he's saying is, God, my zeal for people to have a relationship with God, to have access for God, that is actually what's going to kill me, to cause me to be killed. And we know that's the case. Because when Jesus clears the temple again at the end of his ministry, that's like the last straw that ends up with him being crucified. And so here's what you need to know. Is that Jesus is not only in self-control when he's coming after those things in your life that he knows are going to kill you, but there's never a time that he has the whip in his hand on something that he's going after in your life that hasn't first gone upon his back. Later on in John, it says that he was scourged for us. So any sin or thing in your life that's distracting you from God, he's already died for that. And he loves you. 
And he's already, he's already felt the pain for that. So as much as you feel like, I can't give this thing up, it's going to hurt too bad, Jesus is like, I know how much it hurts, and please trust me. I'll take it. So that's how Jesus goes about the things in our life. That's Jesus, Lord of the whips, but he doesn't come the way we would think. So then the last question is why? And this is the most important question. So he's taking away these things, but for what purpose? Why is he clearing the temple? And so the Jews say to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? They're like, what are you doing, Jesus? Notice they didn't say, why are you, why are you messing? Like they, nobody was saying, oh, you know, well, we should be doing it here. Everybody kind of knew, okay, this isn't something we should be doing. But they said, why are you, what's the sign that you're going to show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, listen to this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? And then listen to what it says. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and he believed, and they believed the scripture that Jesus had spoken. So remember when we said that the temple is the mediated presence of God through sacrifice. What Jesus is saying is this temple is meant to ultimately point to me, the true temple. That in his body, the ultimate sacrifice would take place. He would die and then three days later rise again. Why? So that he could be He could mediate the presence and manifest the presence of God to us. Not in a specific place, amongst a specific people, but in all places to all people who are in Christ. That's what he came to do. Which, I know that this sounds like just a theological abstraction, but I want you to understand this, if you possibly can, or just go away meditating on this this weekend. That God wants us to know that he is with us all time, at all time. And he wants us to know that so much that he sent his, his son Jesus to die for us. So therefore, listen to this. We have the presence of God with us at all times if we are in Christ. And I've been focusing this year, kind of, I was praying at the beginning of the year, like, Lord, what's the thing you want me to focus on in my relationship with you? And it was this idea of identity in Christ. Like, what does it mean to be in Christ? And the more I've looked into it, the more I'm like, whoa, this is unbelievable. There's 189 times just in the New Testament that it talks about being in Christ and all the things that are available to us in Christ. And I'm reading this one specific book that's talking about this identity in Christ. And one of the prayers that it says at the end of one of the meditations, it says this. Start praying so that you can get this down from your head into your heart and into your experience. Start praying this prayer. God is with me here now. And I've started to pray that prayer that Jesus made available, that God is with us, not in the temple, but here, now, anywhere that you are. And so, next time that you're going into a big test at school, or going into a hard conversation with a friend, or going into a stressful situation at work, stop and realize God is with me here now. Or next time that you're going through a temptation and you're trying to fight that, or maybe even that you've just blown it, yet God is with me here now. 
because of Christ. Or the next time that you're sharing a wonderful meal with your friends or going for a walk and just enjoying the beauty, pray that prayer. God is with me here, now. It's mind-boggling what Jesus is saying here, but he's saying it. That's, that's what he's come to do, that we would have the presence of God with us at all times, in all places, because of his Son. It's so cool. I mean, I, I could go on, so, but I'm not going to. Um, so here's what I want you to imagine. I want you guys, this week, as you go into the week, thinking through, okay, what is that thing in my life that God wants to clear? Where, where's, where do you see the whip in his hand? And don't fear it. Invite it. Because you know that the whip in his hand has first found its way upon his back. So he's going to be kind and he's going to be loving. But don't just imagine, okay, what is he coming to take away? Because we're so short-sighted. We have this fear of losing things. But God never takes something away that he doesn't also want to give us something. And so in one hand, yes, he has the whip. But always, in the other hand, he has the wine of something that he wants to give you. And mostly, he just wants to give you himself. He wants you to know that he's with you here and now and whatever it is that you're going through. You see, he took the whip so that we could have the wine. That's what he came to do. And so we're going to go into a time of uh, response to the, to the sermon. And I want for you guys to imagine that in your mind. Imagine Jesus there with a whip in his hand, but more than anything, say, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you wanting to, to clear in my life? But more than anything, focus on Jesus. What are you wanting to give me? What's in the other hand that he's going, wanting to come and to do in your life, to give to you? So let's pray. Jesus, um, we just give you thanks. Lord, that you give, you take away in order to give more. And Lord, this is a great theological idea, but Lord, I pray that you could give us grace to experience your presence, that you've come to let us know that you're with us always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.